Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everyone. Apparently, um, today, yeah, most people in America are going to be watching what Americans call football. <laughs> very deceptive name for a sport. Obviously, there is kicking involved, but it's only a small part of it. Football. Ah. Anyway, I'm going to be watching it. <laughs> what am I talking about? Um, okay, most years I don't pay attention to the Super Bowl, um, but this year I am, and that has a lot to do with um, an individual, a quarterback, um, by the name of Brock. Um, I've been impressed with that young man. I've been impressed with him because he's not only achieved what most people thought he couldn't, because apparently he was like the third string quarterback or something, but he's now like led the 49ers to like the Super Bowl, which is awesome. But I've been impressed by his profession of faith. Um, he's a Christian, he loves Jesus, and he makes that clear and known to everyone. And so as a result of that, I'm gonna be supporting the 49ers. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and if you're a, what is it, Chiefs thing? Whatever the other team is. <laughs> Apparently they have this quarterback who's probably gonna be better than Tom Brady. Yeah, right, we'll see. Mahomes, whoever his name is, but 49ers go. Sorry to upset you. Grab your Bibles. We're in Galatians. We're in Galatians, and this Sunday we are in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be really focusing our time on verses 22 um, all the way to 26. And as is our F, as is our desire to honor God and his word. May you please stand for the reading of it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through to 26 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Have a seat and let's pray. And so God, I ask that you would... Do the work you want to do this morning, and that is to cause all of us to see Christ, who he is, and fall deeply in love with him. And in his name we pray, amen. In the last three weeks or so, as a church, we've set up camp in Galatians chapter 5. We've looked at what it means to be free in Christ. To be free in Christ means Christians are no longer required 
to perfectly obey the law, and to be made right before God. And so if you're here and you are a Christian, the person and work of Jesus has set you free from trying to attain and sustain salvation. To be free in Christ also doesn't mean Christians are free to indulge the flesh. In the Bible, especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the term flesh is often a metaphor for our inclinations towards selfishness, immorality, and other behaviors that go against God's will. In view of this, even though we're free from the law, our freedom in Christ, okay, shouldn't be used to do whatever we want. But our freedom in Christ um, should be used to love God and serve others. And how we can live this way, how we can resist our flesh and love God and serve others is to walk by the Spirit. And so what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Um, The first step in answering this question is to first understand what it looks like not to walk by the Spirit. And that's what we covered last week. Within every Christian is a war. It's this tug of war. On one side is the Spirit pulling Christians towards God's will. On the other side is the desires of the flesh that try to lead Christians away from God's will. And so because of this, choosing to walk by the Spirit doesn't mean all of our sinful tendencies suddenly disappear. Christians still struggle with all sorts of sinful attitudes and behaviors. And if we're not walking and being led by the Holy Spirit, we will be under the influence of the flesh. And so my brothers and sisters in Christ, you know you're under the influence of the flesh when you witness the following behaviors and attitudes in your life. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Last week's sermon was based on the works of the flesh in this particular passage. And it was undoubtedly a heavy one for all of us. I've heard that it it sparked some meaningful discussions in our community groups. And I'm sure it also raised a lot of questions for some of you. It's normal for topics as complex as sex and sexuality to stir up a range of emotions. Emotions like discomfort, deep reflection, and even disagreement. Some of you 
felt challenged last week. Others of you might have found yourself at a crossroads when it comes to your beliefs. And I think that's all okay. It's natural for us to grapple with these issues and to agree on some points and question others. Your, re your reactions, right? Your doubts and your engagement are all part of what it means to follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus have to sometimes wrestle with hard truths in the Bible. Followers of Jesus have to at times wrestle and struggle with some of the difficult and complex topics of the Bible. And so let me remind you again that last week was just the starting point. Um, it was just the beginning, and as a church, we plan to delve deeper into this topic. And so later this year, we plan to host seminars and forums that explore the Christian sexual ethics. There's just so much to unpack, and trust me, preaching is hard, okay? It's hard in so many ways, but one of the things that makes it difficult is that most Sundays I have limited time, okay? I have a lot to say on everything. Ask my wife. <laughs> uh, she's just like, you just talk so much. <laughs> I do, and, but there's just so much to unpack um, when it comes to a delicate topic like sex and sexuality. And so as I said, we plan to talk more about it. But today we're going to be exploring the fruit of the Spirit. And so, but before we do, here are a few introductory remarks to help us understand it better. The first thing to notice is that the verse says fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. This is different from the actions and behaviors that come from the flesh. Um, they're titled works, plural of the flesh. And so the question is, what's the significance of this? The singular fruit of the Spirit means that these qualities, that is love, joy, peace, etc., are all part of one whole. These qualities make up the fruit. There are not nine different fruits. It is a nine-part fruit. The fruit is like an orange. You peel an orange open, and what do you have? Different slices of the orange. So imagine that, the, that each slice of the orange is one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit grows all together within a Christian's life with unity, wholeness, and balance. All the pieces of the one fruit work together and strengthen each other. Christopher J.H. Wright, who wrote a really good book on the fruit of the Spirit, which has inspired this sermon, um, has this to say. He says this, 
So what Paul is saying with his list of beautiful qualities is this. These are the qualities that God himself will produce in a person's everyday, ordinary human life because the life of God himself is at work within them. The life of God by his spirit will bear fruit in the tree of a person's life simply because this is what God is like and this is what God produces. This is really encouraging, isn't it? To know that if you are here and you are a Christian, um, the fruit of the spirit, this list we're going to look at, um, is something that God is actually producing in your life. With this in mind, let's look at the first slice of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Look at verse 22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the first one? L-O-V-E is love. You like that one, isn't it? L-O-V-E. At the forefront of these virtues is love. And this isn't by chance. Love has been the bedrock of all Paul has been sharing in the letter he wrote to the Galatians. Jesus himself declared the greatest commandment centers on love. Loving God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and also loving our neighbors as ourselves. And in this verse, the kind of love Paul is referring to is the love we display to one another. That is, the first fruit of the Spirit is not so much our love for God, but the love we display towards one another as Christians. Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35 says this, a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The next slice of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The gospel is good news. In fact, it's the best news the world has ever heard. And so there can be no greater joy than coming to believe the gospel and to know that the Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing that he brings. The third um, slice of this fruit is peace. In our fast-paced, often chaotic world, Peace can seem like a rare treasure. Think about it for a moment, all right? When was the last time you would say you experienced a moment of true peace and tranquility? Think about it. Not just the absence of noise, but this deep, inward, soulful peace. When was the last time you experienced that? The Bible has a lot to say about peace, but what kind of peace is being talked about here in relation to the fruit of the Spirit? The peace being talked about here is not just about the peace God achieved for believers through 
Christ on the cross. Instead, what Paul is doing is that he is focusing on our everyday lives, on how we live out peace with one another. And so the question I want you to think about is, how do we do that in our communities? How can we cultivate this kind of peace in our daily interactions? I think first, it can mean actively seeking to resolve conflicts rather than feeding those conflicts. Second, living at peace could also mean that we are careful to avoid the kinds of words and attitudes and expressions that can create misunderstanding and division. Living at peace can also mean that we are quick to apologize and say sorry, even if we're not the one who's done the wrong. Seeking peace is also about handling grievances the way Jesus taught us, not airing them publicly or indulging in gossip. And so this week, I want to encourage you to identify one step you need to take in order to promote peace. Maybe it's reaching out to someone you've had a misunderstanding with, or perhaps it's pr practicing holding your tongue when you're tempted to gossip. How can you uh, display this kind of peace um, this, this week in your life? Patience is the next fruit on the, uh, of the Spirit. And to fully understand true patience, we have to first consider the, uh, the, the patience of God. Usually, when we think about the God of the Old Testament, we think of him as this angry God. And yes, there are stories in the Old Testament where God's anger does break forth, and when it does, I think it's justified. But what's interesting is that the very first description that God gives of himself in the Bible is that he is a God of patience. Look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, and that is God, passed before Moses and proclaimed... Listen to this. This is God describing himself for the first time in the Bible. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we look at the history of the Old Testament, one of the things that you will notice is that it's a long story of God's patience over many centuries and generations. And if you are honest with yourself, Christian, you will realize and come to know and believe that God has been patient with you. And so how can you show more patience? in your interactions? How can you exhibit and give out the patience God has shown you this week? Next fruit of the Spirit is kindness. Kindness is doing for someone what you would want them to do for you, especially when you're in a tough situation. Kindness at its core, is about putting others before ourselves. It's about these thoughtful, 
encouragement, and sometimes the sacrifices we make to help others. Jesus is kindness personified. Whether it was healing the sick, welcoming children, or even caring for his mother from the cross, Jesus never allowed interruptions to deter him from showing kindness. And so as we step into this week, I challenge you um, to look for opportunities to show kindness. Maybe it's thanking someone who doesn't really go on no, um, get, on no, get noticed or offering a smile to a stranger or helping someone in need. And so I wonder how you can show kindness this week. Fruit number six of the nine is goodness. Now I want you to do something. I want you to think of someone you would say is a good person. Just think about someone. Not yourself, all right? Someone else. Who would you say is a good person? What images or characteristics come to mind when you think about this particular person? Perhaps this is a person who is genuine, someone who is without pretense or sham. Maybe you think of someone whose actions are not for show but stem from a deep well of integrity. That's the kind of goodness we're talking about here. It's a transparent, dependable um, quality that reflects God's own nature. And so I wonder if you've ever encountered someone whose life radiates this kind of goodness. And if you have, what are some of the qualities that you see in them? Next, Paul lists faithfulness um, as a fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness is about being reliable. It's about being honest and trustworthy, not just for a moment, but consistently over time. And so, have you ever thought about what it means to be truly faithful? Faithfulness is seen in the long haul, proving that someone is reliable not just once, but throughout a lifetime. And the Bible is rich with declarations of God's faithfulness from the ancient poems in the Old Testament um, to some of the Psalms, the content in most of the Bible talks about how God has been faithful and continues to be faithful to his people. Next fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. In the ancient world that Paul grew up in, the world of Greece and Rome, gentleness and humility wasn't really valued. Most men wanted to exercise power and dominance and be skilled and heroic. And so the idea of being gentle and humble wasn't valued at all. Yet, the biblical perspective turns this notion on its head, presenting gentleness and humility as a sign of true strength. 
Jesus exemplified gentleness, not as a meek and mild absence of strength, but as a powerful choice to engage with the world in love and humility. Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 to take up his yoke and learn from him because he is gentle and lowly in heart offers us a profound model for our own lives. And so throughout this week, ask yourself, how can I embody the humility that gives rise to true gentleness? And so as we wrap up the list of um, fruit of the Spirit, the last one we're going to look at is self-control. Self-control is essentially about reining in those desires and impulses that can lead us astray, whether that's in matters of appetite, um, emotions, or even words. The Bible offers us vivid examples of both the triumphs and failures of self-control. Think about Joseph's resistance to Potiphar's wife and David's downfall with Bathsheba. They serve as powerful lessons in the consequences of our choices. And so as we consider self-control, let's recognize that self-control is a virtue needed by all. What's interesting is that after the list of fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul makes a striking statement. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. Let's look at it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and then what does he say? Against such things, there is no law. In other words, the law can never produce this kind of fruitfulness. Let me say that a different way. Trying to obey the law in order to exhibit these qualities is impossible. Paul doesn't stop there. He talks about crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires in verse 24. And that's an interesting concept, the idea of crucifying the flesh. What this is about is our ongoing crucifixion, which we ourselves do to our sinful nature as we put to death the old nature within us. And the reason he's concluding in this way is to help us know that we too have a part to play when it comes to bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Because our tendency would be, you know what? God is at work. God's Spirit is in me. God is at work within me, and he's producing fruit within me. So I'm just going to chill, sit back, and do nothing. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's like, I am going to remind Christians that, yes, the Spirit is within them, 
bearing fruit, but they also have a part to play. That is why, look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. That is why he says, if we live by the Spirit, okay, let us also keep in step with what? The Spirit. This is both a statement of reality and a commandment. He's basically saying, look, we live by the Spirit. We have God's Spirit. We are saved. And as a result of that, let's do something about it. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. It means intentionally pursuing things that will help us cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. A question I am sure some of you are asking or have thought about every time we talk about the fruit of the Spirit is, what about people that are not Christians? The reality is this. Each of these qualities or characteristics listed as the fruit of the Spirit can be found in the life of someone who's not a Christian. Am I right or am I wrong? Am I right? Think about it. Look, (laughs) how many people do you know that are loving, that are kind, that have self-control, that walk around peacefully. How many people? You know someone. And so, if the reason the fruit of the Spirit appears in the life of the believer is because the Spirit is in the life of the believer, what about people who are not Christians that seem to display the fruit of the Spirit? I know you was asking that question. And if you wasn't, I am asking it for you. Unbelievers have joy. They can be patient. We all know someone who is kind and gentle and faithful. When Eleanor and I first arrived in America, um, we lived in Los Angeles, in Santa Clarita, kind of the suburbs, Pasadena area. And we lived with a Christian family, but next door to us was a family Never knew the first kind of second day we were there. We met her. Her name's Carol, and she, she just is a typical American. We met her, and she was like, come over. Come, come have some Kool-Aid, and come have all. <laughs> At that time, I was like, what is Kool-Aid? I don't even know what is Kool-Aid. She, brought, she just had us over, and ever since, she absolutely was incredibly kind to us. And to this day, we say, she is way kinder than so many Christians that we know, all right? She is incredible. Just over the years, just showed us so much kindness. 
We all know people who exhibit goodness in their relationships. They, they know what it is to be self-controlled. All these things which the apostle Paul lists as the fruit of the Spirit are to be found in people who do not have God's Spirit because they, who do not have God's Spirit. And so the question we need to think about, what's the difference What's the difference between the love, joy, peace, etc., that comes from God's Spirit and the joy, love, peace, kindness, etc., that people who are not Christians exhibit? David Campbell will begin to help us with this. He says this Perhaps we can best answer. It's in this way. The role of the Spirit is to take qualities and characteristics that are common to humanity and do something special with them. Something that only He can do by His presence and ministry in grace. Let me explain with John chapter 16, verse 14, all right? Jesus said, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The ultimate purpose, all right, the Holy Spirit has a lot of purposes, and we've seen that. But the ultimate purpose of the Holy Spirit is to what? Is to glorify Jesus. This means the Holy Spirit exists primarily to shine the spotlight on Jesus and draw our attention to him. And so the special thing the Spirit does with qualities and characteristics that are common to humanity is to make them all about Jesus. That's the difference. So, for example, let's take love, all right, which is common both in the believer and non-believer, but it's only, think about this, when we think about love, it's only the believer who loves God and out of love for God, obeys him. It is only the believer who loves other Christians, loves them because they are believers, and out of that love serves them. It is only Christians whose love for their enemies moves them to pray for them, bless them, and do good to them. It is only the believer whose love for his neighbor prompts him to seek his salvation. Love in the Spirit's hands is made uniquely new. It is given new objects. It springs from new motives and comes to expression in new ways. To do another example, what about joy? Joy. Joy is something everyone experiences. 
We find joy in accomplishments, um, relationships, or pleasures in life. But when the Holy Spirit, when you are saved and the Holy Spirit infuses your joy, it takes on a deeper dimension. This joy transcends circumstances. It's a joy that persists even in trials because it's rooted in our relationship with Jesus. It's the joy of salvation, of knowing Jesus and being known by him. This joy doesn't depend on what's happening around us, but the joy we experience as a result of our salvation is this unchanging joy that helps us, that helps us have hope, knowing that no matter what comes our way, we have confidence and assurance assurance that our future and our eternity is certain. Peace is also a universal pursuit. Everybody wants to pursue peace. We all long for peace in our lives and in the world around us, yet the peace the Holy Spirit gives believers is different. It's the peace of knowing our eternal future is secure in Christ. This peace allows us to trust God's plan even when we can't see a way forward or something. It's a peace that not only calms our hearts, but also we can extend to others as well. Through the Spirit, our peace becomes a reflection of Christ's reconciling work on the cross. Kindness is something most cultures and most religions value. But when the Holy Spirit works within us, our acts of kindness are elevated to a new level. It's no longer just about being nice to others. It's about reflecting the kindness of Jesus. This means showing kindness not only to those who can give it back to us, but also showing kindness to people who cannot. It's kindness that serves without seeking recognition. Through the Spirit, our kindness points directly to Jesus. It illustrates the grace and love he offers to everyone. That's the difference. And so, as we let the Holy Spirit work in us, these qualities, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., aren't just these improved versions of our human traits they become supernatural evidences of Jesus living in us, transforming us to look more like him every day. The fruit of the Spirit takes what is common to humanity and refines it, enhances it, and uses it to glorify Jesus. And as this happens, our lives become a vivid portrait of Jesus his love and his grace. And so this is what I'd love for you to do this week, right? Here's some homework. Here's some homework, all right? Take the fruit of the Spirit one at a time, and I want you to reflect on what makes them distinctively fruit of the Spirit, okay? Think about what the Spirit does with them in the life, in your life, and the special ways in which he brings them to expression. Just take them. Take each one and say, how are these? How's the Spirit using these and um, expressing these in my life? 
And number two, I want you to pray that by God's power, by the Holy Spirit, and for the glory of Christ, you would increase, these would increase in your life. So that's two things. And so as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit and all that is, if you are like me, you're like, this is good. This is encouraging. But if you're like me, there is this hint of discouragement. What you'll probably do is look at your life and go, I can't see any of these qualities. And if you do look at your life and go, I am awesome. I'm the most patient person and the kindest in the world. <laughs> well, you've got to relook at your life. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying it can be discouraging. It's this concern that weighs heavily on all of our hearts. And so today, I want to reassure you of something. Whether you see yourself being a person that is patient or kind or anything like that, wherever you are, I want to reassure you that you are bearing and expressing the fruit of the Spirit more now than you have ever in your life. I want you to look at the review mirror of your life and see that God has been truly at work and he has been bringing about the fruit of the flesh in your life. And so as we conclude, I want you to think about the one thing you feel God wants for you, okay? If God, if you were to just encounter God or be able to ask him something and get a direct answer and you asked him, hey God, what is the one thing you want from me? How would he respond? And as we look at scripture, how he would respond is that he would want you to be more like Jesus. The thing God wants most for all of his children is to be more Christ-like, to be like Jesus. And so the question is, how does this happen? William Temple has this awesome analogy that will help us here. He says this, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. In other words, God's purpose is to make us like Christ, and God's way of doing it is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit works within us, and the Holy Spirit has been working within you if you're a Christian, you will start to mirror Jesus in your actions and attitude. And that's because when you take a good look at the fruit of the Spirit, if you take a good look at the fruit of the Spirit, you'll essentially 
see a portrait of Jesus Christ himself. That's what they were all about. And that's who the fruit of the Spirit describe. And so be encouraged, Christian. The reality is that God is supernaturally working in your life. And as he does that, you become more like Jesus and begin to exhibit these fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. So God, I ask that each and every one of us, you would show us who we are becoming. <laughs> you are so good and you are so gracious. And I love how you take um, some of these qualities that are common to humanity that we all possess because we're made in your image and you infuse them with your spirit so that they may all glorify Jesus Christ, your son. And in his name we pray, amen.